Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Titus. I'll ask you to remain seated uh, because today we'll be beginning a new study on the book of Titus, which will take us over the next several weeks. And as is our custom from time to time, we want to do a brief introduction of the book before we actually get into our text for today. So uh, the passage we'll be looking at is on page 998 if you, in the, seat, uh, the Pew Bible if you uh, do not have your Bible with us or with you today. Uh, so Titus is one of three uh, pastoral epistles written by the Apostle Paul. First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are those three pastoral epistles. Uh, and the timeline for the book of Titus is uh, somewhat hard for us to discern from Scripture alone. Uh, because Paul in the book of Titus says uh, to Titus that this is why I left you in Crete. And nowhere in the book of Acts, which gives us a bit of a timeline of Paul's ministry, nowhere in Acts do we see him ministering with Titus in Crete. And so this has led scholars to believe that uh, the book of Titus was written after uh, the book of Acts, uh, after Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, which happens at the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, in perhaps a fourth minis- uh, uh, missionary journey of Paul. Um, he's, he's writing to uh, a trusted uh, pastor, a traveling companion, this Titus, who is a Gentile believer. Uh, we do learn a bit about Titus through other of Paul's writings in Galatians and in 2 Corinthians. We know that he, was, uh, he accompanied Paul uh, to Jerusalem uh, he was uh, called by uh, the Macedonians um, to, and he was, he was entrusted with a, a collection and perhaps was the bearer of the letter 2 Corinthians. So he was a, a trusted traveling companion. And, and Paul tells us in, in Titus 1.5 that he left him in Crete. And uh, what we know about Crete at that particular time, you need to be thinking that it is like the sin city of the first century. It was known throughout the ancient world for its immoral behavior. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and to the church there to instruct Christians how they might live in the midst of an immoral culture. And uh, one of the key themes that he instructs Timothy or Titus with is that, there, that true knowledge and godliness are an unbreakable link. That there is a knowledge that accords with godliness, that sound doctrine results in sound living, that this is how Christians ought to live in the midst of an immoral culture. It's a, it's a relevant book for us to study in the culture that we live, and so we're excited to do so. Our passage today is we're just covering the greeting, uh, the first four verses. Paul is known for his long sentences and for his greetings. This, these four uh, verses are one sentence. One sentence in Greek, one sentence in English. So let me invite you to stand as we read together the first four verses of the book of Titus. And hear now the word of God. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, 
Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And beloved, so ends the reading of God's Word. And what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Oh, our God, we just sang it, but now we pray it. We ask You to speak to us through Your Word that You would convict our hearts, You would instruct us, You would train us, You would build us up in righteousness. You would work faith and salvation in our hearts this morning, even through the lips of this weak and sinful preacher. We can't do this alone, Father, so we ask for your Spirit to attend unto this fact for your glory's sake. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's considered to be perhaps one of the best preachers of the 20th century said this, I would say without any hesitation that the most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. And as it is the greatest and most urgent need of the church, it is obviously the greatest need of the world also. Indeed, he said that, but the question I have been wrestling through over the past several years of my life is, What exactly is preaching? And I don't mean what is good preaching, although that's a good question to ask, but I believe that flows out of what preaching is, what it's intended to be. Um, Kids, how would you answer that question? What is preaching? Do you think of it as that period of time in the worship service where the pastor talks for a really long time and you have to work real hard to be quiet and to pay attention and to listen because you know you... Your mom or your dad's going to ask you about it at lunch. Is preaching a glorified Sunday school lecture? Or as one Christian comedian said, is it like a TED talk with scripture verses? It's a basic question, and I think we all think we know what preaching is, but I I think it's so basic and we see so much preaching that we tend to overlook it, almost like we tend to overlook the greetings in Paul's letters. But I think it's an important question for us for a number of different reasons. One, we are part of a tradition and our worship practice is that preaching, the preaching of the word is an essential part of our worship practice. And not just essential, but central. Hopefully you have noticed that in our order of worship that all the elements of worship seem to be keyed off the text that we are preaching that particular Sunday, and the worship service works towards a pinnacle, the preaching of the Word. And from there, everything flows. Uh, So it's important for that purpose. Uh, Secondly, it's important because we have a number of men in our congregation who are pursuing a potential call to ministry. So it's important for those men who are considering entering into a preaching ministry, what is expected of them, what that task is. And it's important for us as the body of Christ, to know how we ought to encourage them, pray for them, help them to evaluate that call. Um, But thirdly, all of us sit under the preaching of the Word. And so it's important for us to understand what that preaching is intended to be, what we can expect, and how we ought to listen to it. Titus, this opening passage from Titus, I think gives us some pointers to why uh, Lloyd-Jones 
uh, esteemed preaching so highly, why we ought to esteem preaching so highly. And what I think we'll see is that through preaching, God works extraordinary things through ordinary means. Because it's through preaching that God Himself works salvation in God's people, producing faith and godliness and hope. And so we'll proceed through this passage under three basic headings. We'll look at the source of preaching, we'll look at the content of preaching, and we'll look at the goal of preaching. So Paul starts, uh, as he does in many of his letters, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he calls himself a servant, that is someone whose life orientation is to live in service of God. And he is an apostle. That would be a title that means one who is sent. But it's more than that. It's an official title of authority as someone set apart by Jesus Christ to carry forth and proclaim that gospel message after Jesus ascended into heaven. So he is a servant and an apostle. But those are titles that suggest an action. A servant serves in some way. An apostle is sent to do something. So what, what are those things? I think we see it there in verse 3. He says, he says he man, at the proper time, God manifested these things in His Word through the preaching which, with which I've been entrusted by command of God our Savior. Preaching is Paul's mission. He has been commanded to preach. He is sent to preach. He, his, he is a servant who serves by preaching. There's implications that ought to flow out of that for us. First is, preachers must be called to this task. This, the source of preaching is God Himself. God is the one who's calling Paul to preach. He's commanding Paul to do it. And so, the man who preaches ought to be, must be, called by God. This is, uh, Paul is not taking this responsibility uh, on himself. He is sent. He is commanded. He is serving. Um, And this is why we tend to talk about the pastoral ministry not as a job, but as a call. A job is something that you choose to do. A calling is something that God calls you and says, I am sending you to do this. So, uh, a desire to, and a giftedness to teach doesn't equal a call. And so, as we consider this and we think through the, the men that we have in our flock who are considering a call to ministry, this is something that we must pray for them for about. That, that we must help them discern this particular call. Uh, they, they need clarity. They need wisdom They need humility to discern whether this is something that they are indeed called to. And we we talk about discerning a call through an inward call and an outward call. So the inward call is the desire. Do I want to do this? Do I have the gifting to do it? The outward call comes from the body of Christ as we recognize the calling that God himself has placed on this man to serve in this particular capacity. And so we have an obligation to speak the truth in love to these men. We need to speak the truth in love. If we see a man who is pursuing a call and 
it is clear to the body of Christ that he is not called to that task. This is not a time for flattery or turning the other way. We need to speak the truth in love and help them identify that. But if we clearly see the gifting that God has placed and we clearly see that that is working out, we must encourage him in earnest to pursue this call because we are providing that outward external call um, for, for these men. So they must be called to the task, but these men must be servants. Preachers must be servants. They must preach. If they have been called, they are commanded to preach. And they must preach the message that God has provided. Uh, They must preach His message. The message is the mission. But if God is the source of preaching, God is the one calling these men, God is the one providing the message, then we must see the preaching as authoritative on our lives. Kids, this is why your parents are asking you to pay attention and listen because the preaching of the Word is an authoritative. That means it's an authority, an, there's an authority from God in the message. All right? So that is the uniqueness that we have in the preaching of the Word, that it is authoritative. If, if the man is faithfully proclaiming God's word to God's people under God's call, under the authority of the church, and he is accurately and clearly and boldly expounding and proclaiming the the message that God has given in his word, we must listen. We must obey it. Um, It has authority in the life of the church and the life of the believer. The preacher is the modern-day prophet not proclaiming a new message from God, but taking God's Word and expounding it and proclaiming it. He's a herald of God's Word, proclaiming it in the midst of the culture. Uh, Paul uses the language in 2 Corinthians of ambassadors. And kids, an ambassador is somebody who is sent from the king with a message for someone else. And that's what's going on here. Think of it like this. Uh, It's dinner time. And your brother or sister is upstairs, and your mom says, go tell your brother that it's time for dinner. And you go up there and you say, okay, you need to come downstairs. And they're like, why? Well, mom said. There's authority in the source, and the message must be heeded because it's coming from mom. You are an ambassador to your mom. That is what the preaching of the Word is. God our Father has given a message for His people which must be obeyed and proclaimed. So we must pray that we receive the message as authoritative. But it's interesting, isn't it, that God gives us this message through weak and sinful human beings like you and me. Um, we, we, we need to pray that we focus not on the messenger, but on the message. So, preachers misspeak. Preachers have illustrations that fall flat. We have explanations that are muddied. You might get distracted by the passions or the lack of passions or the rhythm or the volume or the pitch of a pastor. We might not like the, 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 the preacher's methods. But then again, we don't always like the message either. And we allow our hearts to become distracted on the messenger and ignore the message. We're not, 
We might not always like it, but we are not called to critique or nitpick the messenger. We are called to receive with meekness the implanted word as it has been given to us from our God. So let me ask you, in the past five weeks in God's providence, we have had five different messengers standing in this pulpit giving you God's word. Have you heard God speak to you in the midst of those things, in the midst of those weeks? Or have you been focused on the men who have been standing here? Do you have patterns of distraction that keep you from a spiritual growth and grace and receiving the word that God would give to you? We ought to pray for humility to hear God's voice clearly and authoritatively, even through the stammering lips of a human man. But the other side of things is we need to remember that the men who stand here are only servants. Paul says, I am a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is the, the, the preacher is not the king nor the Lord. He is the servant. You think of it like this. A preacher is like the moon, not the sun. The moon reflects the light of the sun. And the, the moon can be beautiful in the midst of a cloudless night. We can marvel at the beauty and the clarity of the moon like we might marvel at the beauty and clarity of a well-preached sermon. And yet we can never ascribe to the preacher the glory that is due to the Lord alone. And it's our hearts bent, beloved. Paul faced this in Acts chapter 14. He and Barnabas were in Lystra and they are carrying out their ministry. And the, the, the people there say, Paul, you are Hermes. The gods have been, come among us. Paul, you are Hermes. Barnabas, you are, you are Zeus. And Paul says, what are you guys doing? We're men just like you. We ought to delight in the messengers that the Lord provides to us, but we must be sober. They are only servants of God. Their calling is from God. Their message is from God. Their gifting is from God. To God alone must be the glory. We can encourage the man, but carefully. Our God is a jealous God, and He will not give His glory to another. The servant is not above the Master. And as preachers, we must direct all praise and glory to God and God alone, being thankful to being used for His purposes. And so, the source of preaching is from God And in order for a man to be faithful in the pulpit, he must preach the message that God would have him preach. And so we turn to the content of preaching. Paul says um, that he, he is a servant and an apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So uh, preaching must convey knowledge. It must impart wisdom and information that is is new information. Um, And yet it's not just our knowledge, it's a knowledge of the truth. It must instruct. But the only truth that is worth instructing is from God's Word. And that's what he says in verse 3. He says, at the proper time, God manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted. And so faithful proclamation of the Word must be based and founded on God's Word and God's Word alone. He must accurately and clearly declare, thus says the Lord. So pray for the men who will occupy this pulpit, that that is exactly what they would do. 
preachers must be expert exegetes. That is, men who can plumb the, what God is saying and figure out how to present it in the midst of this culture. And it sounds so easy. And yet, the temptations are there to swerve to the right and to the left. Paul himself said that he refused to tamper with God's Word because he knew that God's Word and God's Word alone were what we need. Um, And part of that is because we live in a culture that doesn't want to hear God's Word. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he said a time is coming when people will no longer endure sound doctrine, but will, will gather around for themselves people that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And friends, that's us. We want to be entertained. We don't want to be preached at. We, don't, we, we want to hear our favorite doctrines. We don't want to be told times where we need to change, things that are convicting. But the truth that we need is from God's Word and God's Word alone. And so preachers who love their flock and want to feed them true food need the courage and the boldness and the wisdom to proclaim lovingly and yet unashamedly God's Word. And yet it's not just a knowledge of the truth. It is a particular kind of truth. See it there in verse 1? It's a knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. It's not just, we're not preach, true preaching is not just informing or downloading biblical facts. It is exhorting. It is calling for change. There is a teaching, a rebuking, a correcting, an instructing. We apply God's Word we, uh, to our lives. We grow in grace. There must be change. And this is a a main theme that we'll see through the book of Titus, that Paul sees the connection between true truth and godliness. He says it again in chapter 2. He says, tells Titus, um, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he starts telling Titus what to tell people how to live. He doesn't say, well, you know, you need to go through these doctrines. Sound doctrine leads to sound living. Sound living is based on sound doctrine. There is an unbreakable link The book of James talks about this where he says we shouldn't just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. Um, It's not just imparting and receiving the facts, but showing that there must be a, a changed life. So, let me ask you, as you sit under the preaching of the Word, how do you listen? Do you listen... Uh, in a form of spiritual entertainment. Like, I want to hear the latest teaching. Or, um, are you looking to correct? Uh, I, want, I want to make sure that this guy doesn't fall out of line. Or, I want to critique his methods. Um, or, are you listening to understand what God would speak to you, to understand how you might grow in grace and in godliness? That is the task of preaching. And, it's interesting, Titus doesn't, or Paul doesn't actually say what godliness is. He says that there's a knowledge of truth which accords with godliness, but he doesn't define it. He doesn't really define it anywhere in the book of Titus. If we want to understand what that really means, we actually have to go to another book. So flip with me just a couple pages back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's just like three pages back in your Bibles. 
And this is the closest that we see of Paul or anyone defining what this godliness is. And it's an odd definition. This is 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. He says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So if we want to have a truth according to godliness, we need to pay attention. He says this, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Paul's definition for godliness is Christ Himself. It is a, is a Christ-centered definition. That Christ, He was manifested in the flesh. That is, in His incarnation. He, we saw Him. He was vindicated by the Spirit. In His resurrection, He was proved to be faithful. He was seen by angels or apostolic messengers. There was the post-resurrection uh, sites. He was proclaimed among the nations. The presentation of the Gospel throughout the, the, the world. Believed on in the world. The reception of that Gospel and taken up into glory. The consummation of His glorious kingdom. That, Paul says, is godliness. But as believers in Jesus Christ, those who are united to Him, this is a definition of godliness for us as well. Philip Ryken explains, He was manifested in the flesh, having been set free by Christ from our sins. We are to live out our faith in the midst of this world with our bodies, vindicated by the Spirit. We await our vindication before the judgment seat of Christ, being found in Him, seen by angels or messengers. We gather around the throne of grace with angels and all of God's people to worship the risen King, proclaimed among the nations. We are called by God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit to proclaim this Gospel in Jesus Christ. Believed on in the world, we are to cling to this Gospel with all of our strength, living it out in the here and now, and taken up into glory. This is our glorious hope that we will be in God's presence forever and ever. This is the godliness. This is the knowledge knowledge in the truth according to godliness that Paul speaks of. And that is so all preaching must be inherently and saturated with Jesus Christ and how we live in Him. If we go back to Titus chapter 1, we see one other important thing that is, uh, that is the God who never lies, who uh, brings about His promises through the preaching of the Word. Notice what he says. He says um, in verse 2, "...in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began..." and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted. Notice that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul doesn't say that it's in God's Word alone, but it is God's Word manifested through the preaching of the Word. That's not to say that God's Word is insufficient. God's Word is the bedrock and the source and the authority of all preaching, and yet this is a word that is to be proclaimed and heralded and received and believed. Um, God reveals His truth to His people by attending to this task 
of preaching. And so if the source of preaching is from God and the content of preaching is the knowledge of the truth which accords to godliness in accordance with God's word, the question is, what is the goal? What is the goal of preaching? So, but first, another question for you. How do God's people come to faith? And how do God's people grow in faith? Some of you may be thinking, well, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that works faith in us. And I yes, that's right. But how does the Holy Spirit do it? How does the Holy Spirit work faith? You might be thinking, well, it's, it's through his word. And again, you're right. It's through his word. But how does he do it through his word? Is it through personal study? Is it through prayer? Is it through Sunday school? Is it through seminary? Through small groups? How does God work faith and salvation through the Word? Paul answers that question, I believe, through prim- the primary means is through preaching. Notice what Paul says. He says, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect, that's one, their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, and in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Those three things he mentions, faith of God's elect, knowledge of the truth, hope of eternal life, are three facets to the work of salvation in the life of the believer. The faith of God's elect. uh, Paul says in Ephesians, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Through faith. Um, The knowledge of the truth. In um, 1 Timothy 2, Paul says that that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He, He connects salvation with a knowledge of the truth. And this hope of eternal life, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. This is, these are things that are manifested, proclaimed through the preaching of the Word. And that's not to say that preaching brings salvation. God does. It is for the faith of God's elect, those whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world to save. It is a knowledge of the truth that comes from God. It is a... Uh, it is the eternal life which God is manifesting through the preaching, but it is, it is through the preaching of the Word that God is bringing these things to pass. It is God's elect, God's cho- choice. And we squirm. You, probably, you might be squirming at what I'm saying. And it, it makes me squirm a bit too. And I wonder, it, does it make us squirm because it's not true? Or does it make us squirm because we are so... We've so imbibed in a Western and American mindset. This past week, we celebrated one of our biggest national holidays, Independence Day. Independence is part of who we are. Individual, independent, and the thought that we are dependent upon God to approach us in a particular way with His Word. God to uh, use other people just like us, to proclaim His truth in a particular way, it's foreign to us. And and we are so anti-authority these days, are we not? 
the idea that some person standing up front proclaiming God's Word is authoritative as though coming from God Himself is just something that is like nails on a chalkboard to our ears. But is it not true? Or do we just need to reorient our thinking? And that's not to say that um, Sunday school, personal, stu- uh, personal Bible reading, prayer, small groups are not important. They are absolutely and extremely important. But there is a uniqueness and an authority to preaching and in which we gain a footing and a context which makes all those other things effective. It is through the preaching of the Word, the proclaiming of God's holy Word, that we understand these things and then we wrestle through them together as a body of believers. We wrestle through them individually in our hearts. We wrestle through them in prayer. And um, the Westminster divines who wrote our Westminster Standards, the, they, they said something similar to this. You may remember this from the shorter catechism. The question was, how is the word made effectual to salvation? And their answer was, the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. It is through the preaching of the word where we are hearing someone say to us, God loves you. God sent His Son to die for you. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will have eternal life. God uses that means to convince, convict, build us up through faith unto salvation. Now, if you're sharp, you may be wondering, is Paul really talking about preaching today or is he talking uniquely about his preaching? Because he says... um, At the proper time, God manifested these things through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. I think it's a good question, but yes, we can connect Paul's preaching to our preaching today. Because Paul makes clear that this command, this authority, is something that is passed on from spiritual generation to spiritual generation. Through the pastoral epistles in both Timothy and Titus, Paul treats these younger pastors as his children. See it in verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. And in this book of Titus, we'll see he is exhorting Titus to appoint men, appoint elders with authority. He says uh, at the end of uh, some point, he says, uh, declare these things with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He is, so he is, he is passing on the torch to Timothy and Titus. He's asking them to appoint elders with that same authority. Uh, those elders are to teach what accords with the doctrine as they have received it. They're passing it on from spiritual generation to spiritual generation. And in God's providence, his strong providence, from Jesus Christ to his apostles, to Timothy and Titus, and that's that next generation of pastors, all the way down through the course of church history, down to Redeemer McKinney, Texas, 2019, God has passed down this doctrine, this authority of His preached Word for us. Because He loves us. 
because he wants to hear he wants us to hear his voice he he gives us that gift and and notice what he says in verse 3 it says this is by command of god our savior god our savior the god who saves us has given this task to paul and paul says this is god our savior he's not putting himself above the people he's putting himself as a sinner in need of that same grace a preacher is a fellow sinner proclaiming the riches that he has received in jesus christ to the midst of the people that need it just as desperately as he does it is it is a it is a gift that we have been given from a god who loves us and so i think it's for these reasons friends that dr lloyd jones said the primary task of the church and the christian minister is the preaching of the word of god because it is the primary means by which god calls sinners to himself and saints to grow in grace so kids this is why your parents want you to pay attention not because they want you to learn about jesus but because they want you to know jesus they want you to hear his voice calling to you they want you to have that same hope that they have and these days there's a lot of talk about different learning styles teachers these days are are encouraged to focus on these different learning styles. Maybe you've thought about this too, where there's some people that are visual learners and some people that have to work things out with their words. Some people have to play with their hands. But our God says that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am. And Paul says that God works out this salvation through the preaching with which he has been entrusted. God imparts to us his gospel promises of grace and peace. He has extended his grace to us in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who grab a hold of that grace by and through faith, he extends his peace. We have peace with God. These are extraordinary things through ordinary means. And so God has called equipped and commanded men to be his message bearers of the gospel and we have the privilege of hearing his voice even through the raspy tone of these human preachers it's an ordained task by god uh, clothed with his authority that you might know for certain that the message is sure the god who never lies promises these things to you and urges you to grab hold of them with all of your hearts. So how could we not pray for these men? How can we not prepare our hearts to sit under God's Word, to receive with gladness the Word that He would give to us? How could we not give our full attention to it and do whatever we can to cast aside all distractions so that we might focus on what God has for us? The God who never lies has said He will speak to us. And we can hold on to that promise and give thanks to the gift that our God has given us. A God who loves us and speaks to us because He loves us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are truly grateful that You do love us enough to speak to us. We thank You that we have an opportunity each week 
to worship you. And as part of that worship, you delight to speak to us from your word. We do pray for humility to sit under it and to receive it with meekness. We do pray for the men who proclaim it, that you would give them boldness and clarity. We pray that you would be honored and glorified as you build up your church through these things for your glory's sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.